As you may have noticed by now, I am not Mike Cootie, as it says in your bulletin. <laughs> Poor Mike is out today sick, and so I'm filling in. I'm Julie Oldham, and I'm Pastor Neil's wife. Um, it's now time to read our scripture for today. We're going to be reading from Ephesians um, chapter 5, verses 21 through 33, and that's on page 1,227 in the hymnal in the back of your pew there. While you're looking that up, I just wanted to say that we're a church who believes strongly in the importance of Scripture and reading it and studying it both together and individually. Would you please read with me? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Now be honest with me. How many of you were a little uncomfortable during that scripture reading? (laughs) Anybody? Just the ladies? (laughs) Oh, that's... uh, Well, we'll talk about it in a second. So we're in this series called Real Talk About Relationships. and, And what we've been doing is kind of taking one type of relationship each week and having some real talk about how Jesus does relationships. And, and so, you know, we feel like it's important that we talk about relationships from time to time because, I mean, first of all, relationships are obviously important to God. He taught us a lot about them. I mean, most of the Bible boils down to how we treat one another and, and how we do relationships. Jesus, constantly, not only was he making relationships, building relationships himself, and modeling how to do that correctly, but he was also teaching us about it. And in fact, his command was love each other. Love each other. He said, this is my command. This is my command. He repeated it. Love each other. And so we've been talking about, you know, Jesus' way of doing relationships. And our goal is to, to spend some time over, these, over the course of this series, you know, just kind of doing personal inventory. How am I doing with relationships? How could I be a better friend? How could I be a better spouse? How could I be a better... Well, we'll even get to enemies. <laughs> how you can be a better enemy. How about that? But for today, we've come from friendships through dating last week to marriage today. And through all these, you know, obviously, like with marriage, we don't have time to talk about everything that could be said about marriage in one day. I mean, how many books have been written? You know, how many sermons have been preached? How many seminars have been taught? 
but what we can do today is we can hold marriage up to Jesus' relationship principle. The relationship principle that we're talking about through this series is based on what Jesus taught. And uh, the pre-principle is this, that the people of this world regard relationships as a means to profit themselves. What do I get out of this? And when I cease to get something out of this, I move on. And we, and we certainly don't see this more evident anywhere than in marriage. I mean, look at our culture and the way it works. You find someone who makes you happy. When they stop making you happy, it's done. And so, Jesus' principle is the opposite of this. And he says the people of his kingdom regard relationships as a means to profit others. It's others-minded, others-first. And so we're going to talk today about how we can apply this principle in our marriages. Now, you may have known me a while, or, or maybe you just read my name in the bulletin today, but either way, you know that my last name is Oldham. Now, when we got married, Julie took my name, Oldham, but frankly, I don't think she had to earn it the way I did. Now, Oldham's certainly not the worst last name you can have. I mean, Julie, Julie had uh, someone she saw the other day named McFatty or something like that, and that, that would be worse. But Oldham does spell Old Ham, all right? And, and when you get to middle school, something remarkable happens. See, in middle school, the kids get, they've got enough brain cells developed to figure out that your last name says Old Ham, but they don't yet have enough brain cells to know that that's not really hilarious. And so, middle school, you know, is quite an experience. Uh, was for me. Now, I'm not saying that I dealt with bullying on the scale of what some kids deal with today or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it, there were times that it was less than pleasant. And, you know, just to prove that this is a middle school issue. I went through college and all that. Everything was just fine. Then I go back to the middle school classroom as a teacher. <laughs> You know, middle school is just a, it's a special place. So I, uh, one of the first things that I did as a young teacher, uh, before I found my full-time teaching position, was to take a long-term sub for a lady who just was out on maternity leave out of a seventh grade science classroom. Now, I held several different such sub positions and teaching positions at the middle school level, but this was a special one for some reason. And they did not like me, and honestly, I didn't care much for them. And for some reason, we just didn't click very well. It ended up kind of a, it's just sort of a nightmare situation, but we stuck with it and we survived each other. But I remember one day at the end of class, the bell rang, you know how it is, the kids all stampede out of the building, but uh, one of my favorite girls from my seventh grade science class went down and found her friend from the team next door down and as they're leaving the building they stick their head in the science classroom and her friend says ew he does smell like old ham <laughs> oh, thankfully I was no longer in middle school and it didn't really bother me but <laughs> Now, why do I say all that? Well, in my last name, there is a letter that's called a silent letter. It's the letter H. <laughs> so we say it Oldham. In the word marriage, there's a silent letter. It's the letter I. 
And by the end of this message, you might think that that's not a coincidence. But in our society today, the letter I is anything but silent in marriage. It's very loud. You know, and most of us, you know, when we get married, we say vows like for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. You know, and we go through all that and then we end with till death do us part. And I think that most of us mean all of that except the last part. And a lot of people in this world interpret that till death do us part nowadays to be, you know, until I get tired of you or until I decide that you nag too much or until I decide I can find someone better or until I decide you're not meeting your end of the bargain or until I find some greener grass on the other side or until I decide you snore too much. <laughs> we enter marriage with these expectations of, what, of how we're going to benefit from this marriage of what life is going to be like in this marriage. And we have these, you know, things that we want out of it, that we expect out of it. And then over time, we find that it's not working out the way we expected. You know, she, you know, nags me about when I want to go hunting or when I want to watch sports or He's always complaining that I'm spending too much money when I'm shopping or doing this, but he doesn't have a problem spending money on his stuff. <laughs> and we have all these little things that crop up, and then you add to those expectations of what I'm going to get out of it, you add the circumstances of life that necessarily happen. Kids add a strain, don't they? Whew. Yeah, and then your in-law situations come up. And then your financial situations come up. And health situations come up. And all these add a further strain on the expectations that we had for marriage. And sometimes it just seems too much to bear. And so, so often we just don't treat the I in marriage, as if it's silent. It gets to be quite loud. And that really ends up causing a lot of the problems that end up sending folks to the counselor if they're brave enough to do that or to end things. And that seems like it kind of sums things up in a nutshell, right? What we deal with in our marriages. And so we come to this passage of Scripture that we read today most pastors, I think, probably avoid it like the plague. I did until recently, <laughs> until, well, more or less until today. So, uh, you, you know, especially ladies, have not particularly liked this passage in recent years because it talks about, well, I mean, this is how we interpret it, right? When we hear it, we boil this passage down to wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. When we read it, that's what we hear. Right? And, and so, it uh, really seems kind of unfair. I mean, submit is not a word we use a lot anymore. It's not a word we like a lot anymore. I mean, we live in a nation where uh, we got tired of submitting to Great Britain, so we kicked them out, right? <laughs> and so, we, just, we don't like the whole concept of submitting. 
We don't even, honestly, today, which this is not the parenting week, but we don't even like making our kids submit. Even though it'd probably be good for them to learn to submit to authority. But we don't like the concept of submit. And so when we read, wives, submit to your husbands, oh sure, you got a few guys going, yep, yep, uh-huh, tell them, Paul. But even for most of us guys, it's a little bit uncomfortable because we know how it really is at home. <laughs> and the ladies certainly don't like it. Because, I mean, it'd be one thing, right, if the guys had a tough command to follow out too, but they've got, love them. Oh, okay, well, we're all called to love each other, so they get to just love us, and then we have to submit and do all that difficult stuff. It even says respect them. I mean, have you seen my husband? Some lady is saying, right? <laughs> if he was respectable, I'd respect him, right? <laughs> and so we feel like, it's like, you know, I mean, and love, you know, submits one of the words we use the least. Love's one of the words we use the most. You know, we love our dogs and our pizza and our... You know, football and our country and, oh yeah, our spouses and our kids. And so, you know, this, when we read this passage of scripture, it's a head scratcher. It just kind of feels out of touch with our times or something. You know, it's, just, it's not politically correct. What do we do with it? I think part of the problem stems that from you know, the fact that as we read this, we read it through our cultural lens. We read it with we read those terms with with the problems we have with those terms. You know that one is underused and offensive, and one is overused and doesn't mean a whole lot to us anymore. And the other problem is that when we read it, we say, you know, wives submit to your husbands, and then husbands love your wives, and we just kind of stop there. And we don't pay attention to the rest of the command to husbands. Because we just kind of think, well, it's, you know, that's Paul. He's kind of, the Apostle Paul kind of get carried away with his words sometimes. He's getting kind of poetic, trying to doctor it up a little bit. But essentially it's just love your wives. But what he's actually doing is telling us what kind of love. Because what he said is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what kind of love is Jesus' love? What does that look like? Well, we talked about the first week that... Jesus told us himself what love looks like. Right? Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life. Love each other. We also talked about that first week in another passage written by the Apostle Paul where he talks about what it's like to love like Jesus loved. And he says to us have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped but instead humbled himself taking the role of a servant humbled himself even to death on a cross and that specifically is the love that the Apostle Paul tells husbands to exhibit to their wives. And so wives, I'm sorry that you got told to submit, but frankly, I think I've got it worse than you. <laughs> when we get honest about what's being said here. And can you imagine for a moment just how radical this would have been to the hearers of that first century church? 
in Ephesus as they got this letter and undoubtedly someone read it aloud for the first time. They didn't have a copy machine to hand out copies, right? They got the letter, they read it out loud. Maybe they took it section by section, maybe they read it once all the way through, and then probably, since they didn't have books and things like that in a New Testament, letters like this were sacred to them, and they probably read it over and over again. But can you imagine for a moment that first reading of this? In a culture, I mean, you want to talk about women's rights, (laughs) they would have laughed you out of the building. What rights in that day, in that time? And whoever's reading Paul's letter says, you know, wives, submit to your husbands. And like we joked a minute ago, probably the guy's saying, "Mm mm-hmm, yep, Paul, tell them. Tell them to submit, because some of these wives are getting this whole Christian equality thing, you know, men and women are equal in Christ. It's getting a little bit crazy around here, Paul. You better put them in their place now. And then whoever's reading it says, husbands, love your wives. Okay, all right. You know, you can see the heads nodding. All right. Now we can do that. As Christ loves the church and sudden silence hits the room. A little bit of an uncomfortable shuffle takes place. And then the last line is read. If I can find it. Here we are. And gave himself up for her. In case there's any doubt about how far he's asking husbands to go when he said, as Christ loved the church, let me just clarify for you, he gave himself up for her. Probably somebody passed out in the back row. I mean, this would have been radical stuff. You know, nowadays, in our culture, this is the kind of passage that you know, the liberal end of things points to to say, here's the problem with religion, you know, trying to keep women down. Friends, this kind of teaching of the Jesus movement is what did more for women's rights throughout history than anything else, period. The Jesus movement has done more for women's rights. I mean, you just look at the Christian nations versus the non-Christian nations and see which nations have more rights for women. And it's teachings like this that said held men to a higher standard and called them to serve their wives at the highest standard. And somehow we, in our you know, cultural context, have lost the perspective of what's being said here. And we've boiled it down to wives submit in respect to your husbands and husbands, you get off easy, just love them. You know, of course, they're supposed to love you too, but that's all you've got to do. Just do your side of the loving and then you know, they've got to worry about the submitting thing. And we've completely missed the point. That the husbands are the ones who are in fact called to the most difficult task of servitude. I would suggest to you that if you don't grasp the depth, the ultimate servitude that husbands are being called to in this passage, if you still think that they're getting off easy, then you don't understand the gospel. The people in the first century certainly understood the gospel. And when this was written, when this was read aloud to them, they would have had no doubts about who was calling, who was being called to the highest 
most difficult standard in marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I don't know about your Jesus, but my Jesus is the one that took the towel off and wrapped it around his waist and did the dirty work of a servant to his own followers and said, now you do likewise. And my Jesus is the one who died my death on that cross instead of letting me do it. And that's the kind of service that husbands are called to do for their wives. And so next time you read this passage, I hope it'll sound something more like this in your ears, that wives should submit to and respect. That word comes later on in the passage that we read. It's kind of used interchangeably with the submitting thing. Your husbands as to the Lord. And husbands be so committed to serving your wives that you give your everything for their benefit just as Jesus did for you. What's being said here is not two separate standards, one for wives and one for husbands, but rather a call to serve one another. And each call to service has its unique nuances. But let's make no mistake about it. No one's getting off easy here. The husband and the wife are called to serve one another. Either as they'd served the Lord or as the Lord has served them. It's a beautiful passage of what doing relationships Jesus' way looks like in the context of marriage. So our principle... You know, that the people of the kingdom regard relationships as a benefit to others. When we come down to applying this to our marriages, we do have to keep the I in marriage silent, don't we? And here's the question that we can ask. How can I help my spouse get the most out of our marriage? Which is directly the opposite of what everyone else in the world is asking isn't it? Everyone else in the world is asking, what do I get out of this marriage? And Jesus' people are supposed to be asking, how can I help my spouse get the most out of this marriage? And the amazing thing about this is, the spouses that figure this out are the happiest spouses of all. Doesn't seem like it would be that way. But, so it goes. Now, how do we apply this? I mean, obviously it applies across the spectrum of marriage. And we could give a billion examples. And so, I thought instead, just to use a framework of five. How many of you have heard of the five love languages? Anybody heard of those? Five love languages, a few of you have at least. Uh, Author... Gary Chapman came out with a New York Times bestseller called The Five Love Languages, and it's not particularly scientific in nature. Wasn't great scientific studies that led to this, to these findings, and yet it's obvious by the way that it's resonated with so many people. And it's been such a huge bestseller that obviously people identify with these five love languages. 
what the principle is, is, is that people, different people express and receive love in different ways. And so, for instance, Julie's love language. I found out early on, she let me know early on in our relationship, words of affirmation. And even if she hadn't let me know, I think I would have clued in sooner or later because she's so good at it. And that's one way you can tell what your spouse's love language is, is how are they constantly showing you love? What's the way that they tend to express their love to you or to your kids, or if, you know, if they don't love you anymore, to your kids? <laughs> and what they're good at is often the way that they also want to receive love. And she's so good at telling me that she loves me, of telling me how proud she is of me and why, and, and those kinds of things. And so it's obvious that her love language is words of affirmation. So from a, since I was made notice of, the, you know, given notice about this at an early point in our dating relationship, I made it a point from the beginning then to try to say things like, I love you. Or to just say nice things to her about, you know, whether it's how she looks or something good that she did. And that may not be my natural tendency to be great at that, but I've tried to work at it. Because I know that's her love language. So that's how love languages kind of work. So if this is your spouse, you know, I mean, this one sometimes is the toughest for fellas, I think, because some guys just, well, you know, we, we might think something, but then forget to say it, right? I mean, it just happens. And sometimes we know something and we forget to think it. <laughs> so, so there's a couple of steps there between between what we know in our heart and what actually comes out of our mouths sometimes. And so we, we struggle with this one. And then there's the guys that have the principles about this, you know, like, if I say I love you all the time, it doesn't mean anything anymore. So I don't say it very often. But they know it. <laughs> you know? But if this is one of your spouse's love languages, you kind of got to get over your principles. And you got to kind of figure out how to get past that knowing it but not thinking it, thinking it but not saying it thing, and get it to come out of your mouth somehow to get to her, because that's what it would look like then to say, how can I help my spouse get the most out of our marriage? Another one people have sometimes is gifts, which sounds scary, you know, which frankly I think that the guys uh, probably have it, you know, maybe easier on this than the ladies because, I don't know, it just seems like Julie can buy 12 pairs of clothes for the price of one pair of my jeans. Anyone notice that? Women's clothes, you know, I mean, you can find these deals and clearance and all that kind of stuff and, and guys, I don't, I don't get why that happens. But anyway, the ladies, you know, when they go to find a gift for us, it's like, we're like, well, we want this shotgun, or we want this piece of electronics, or this new big screen TV, and all of our things, you know, happen to be $1,000 or more. <laughs> but when we're talking about gifts, it does, we're not just talking about Christmas. We're not just talking about Valentine's Day, even. We're just talking about little things sometimes that show you're thinking of them. It doesn't have to be a big deal doesn't have to be the largest bouquet of flowers. Just something to say, hey, I love you. And some people receive that the best with a gift. Another one of the five is quality time. For those of us that are busybodies, 
If we want our spouse to get the most out of this marriage, we may have to carve out a little bit of time sometimes just to be still and be with them. Acts of service. Whether that's running an errand that they would normally run or doing a chore that they would normally do or whatever the case, just something. And that doesn't happen unless you're asking, how can I help my spouse get more out of this marriage? And the fifth one was physical touch. Whether that's hugs or kisses or something more intimate, physical touch is a love language. And you'll hear people that are, you know, this is their love language, but they're not getting much out of it. You know, men will say something like, she always, you know, doesn't ever want me to even touch her, you know. Doesn't, doesn't ever want to get intimate anymore. And then the wife at the same time is saying, the only time he ever shows me any kind of affection or physical touch is when he wants something, <laughs> Right? And so, in a marriage where both parties are truly asking, how can I help my spouse get more out of this? In a marriage that recognizes, you know what scripture teaches us about, in a marriage, the body's not just your own. You become one flesh, you belong to each other. Then, fellas, you might got to do a little more cuddling sometime. Sometime just hold your wife and let that be it. Just let her know that you love her and you're not expecting anything in return kind of thing. You might need to let her know that. And wives, if you want your husband to get the most out of it, sometime you might need to initiate something more intimate for a change. Surprise him in that way. But the idea is that no matter which love language you're talking about, Or what context? You may think of contexts that fall outside of the framework of these five love languages. We ask, we take the I out of marriage and we ask, how can I help my spouse get the most out of this marriage? Can you imagine what a difference it would make if you woke up in the morning and said, today, how can I help my spouse get more out of this marriage? How can I benefit my spouse today? How can I help them today? Without any concern for what I'm going to get out of it today. I imagine make a world of difference. And maybe Christian marriages would, stop, would uh, start, stop looking like the world's marriages and start looking more like the way it seems Jesus wanted them to look. The way he created them to work. We're going to dive into divorce next week, bravely. And we'll talk more about troubles in marriage and troubled relationships, but... Today, I just want, I hope if nothing else, that you leave today realizing that that passage, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives, might not be as 
simple or as outdated or as politically incorrect as you thought. And that maybe you and your spouse could put each other first this week. I just want to, as a disclaimer with this, when we talk about submitting to one another in, in a marriage context, I just want to say that what God's teaching here is not that if you are in an abusive relationship, you have to do, you're just stuck in it and you need to submit and serve. You, know, you need to find appropriate help. That's not what this is about. So just in case that that's the case for anyone, I wanted to make that clear. But I just want to challenge us all as we wrap this up to think about how can you apply this in your marriage. I also want to challenge you that as we take time to respond today and we, uh, it's just going to be an instrumental song and I want you to just spend some time praying. Pray about, if you're not married, pray about your other relationships. We've been talking about them each specifically and you've got other relationships where this general principle of how can I benefit others in my relationships applies. So spend the next few moments reflecting. Spouses, reflect. How can I help my spouse get the most out of our marriage this week and in the weeks to come? And you might even want to come with your spouse if you're with them today and just kneel at an altar today together and pray together for your marriage. It would be a good day to do that. Let's pray together now. Father, thank you for establishing marriage. For recognizing a man's need for a woman and a woman's need for a man. And we confess, God, that like our world, we've too often made marriage about our wants, our wishes, our desires. Holy Spirit, help us to grow in this task of placing our spouse before ourselves. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.